another episode of the Podcast. Today is May the 14th. Uh, this is episode 331. Um, we apologize for any audio issues we may have had last week. Yeah. Um, it's okay. You didn't really miss much because anything that was said then, we're probably going to talk about at the end of the year. You just got to wait about six months. <laughs> My name's Mike. His name's Matt. My name's Matt. His name's Mike's. Uh, Mike's? Wow, you're plural today. Yep. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, at the beginning of the show, I real I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? We should have like a, a, and I think we pitched this at the beginning of the podcast too when we first started recording these. Like, should we have like a nautical thing? Like, welcome aboard to the Mini oh, Remote Podcast. Oh, we talked about it, but we couldn't <laughs> keep a straight face every time. Yeah, you're, you're right. We also couldn't remember it every single time. Because you were like, come on in, welcome in, or something like that. It was, like, it was come on board to the yeah. Mini Remote Podcast. Come on board! Anyways. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, what he said, uh, we're here to deliver you all the news that's fit to record on a podcast about all that media stuff. And uh, yeah, got, a, got a, a killer show this week. All sorts of weird stuff to talk about. Uh, so let's get rolling right into it. Why don't we? Yep. And we start our podcast with the with the music section. Yes. We start music with the billboard. We start the billboard with the Hot 100. Yeah. And your number one song... Wait for you. No, that's song. Wait, Wait for, for you. you. Uh, by Future. But it's really featuring Drake, and that's why it's at top. <laughs> oh, and Thames, I guess. I don't know who Thames is. I don't right know. There. But that's why it's on top. It's because of Thames, and not Drake or Future. <laughs> uh, that does mean their previous number one, uh, Harry Styles, as it was, drops down to number two. Uh, First Class by Jack Harlow drops down to number three. Ugh. <laughs> uh, but... Coming in at number four, Puffin' on Zooties. <laughs> I think I know uh, what you're puffing on, Zooties. but because you're dropping the G, I automatically assume that you're talking about the Penguin Puffin. <laughs> that Puffin. That Puffin's on Zooties. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's also by Future. Yes. And round you your top five, Heat Wave by Glass Animals. They keep freaking me out. Uh, congratulations to Glass Animals. You were the answer on a Jeopardy earlier this week. <laughs> yes. You've made it. That's <laughs> how you know you've made it. Exactly. Uh, as for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, I Never Liked You, the album <laughs> by Future. Yeah. Uh, at two, Dawn FM by The Weeknd, because it's The Weeknd. Yeah, I guess. Uh, at three, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Uh, Coming in at four, Palomino! Hey! I'm Randall Did Lambert. Use in the top five at number four this week. Yeah! Uh, which means it probably topped the country charts. Yes. Uh, easily. Good for her. Uh, speaking of good for her, and good for you, <laughs> at number five, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Yep, good for you. Can you imagine how many copies Sour must have sold at this point? Like, it just keeps going. It's all that record play. It refuses play. to lose, like, leave the top ten. It refuses. It's all that record play. Yeah. Just keep playing it. Love to see it. Keep playing the hits. All right. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. New releases. These are albums coming up next week, including yeah. Palaces by Flume, Red, Blue, Green by Hanson. Yes, yes that, that Hanson. Uh, Harry's House by Harry Styles. So yeah. Harry Styles' record is finally going to come out. All those singles lead to this moment. Yep. I.E. It's supposed to be like I.I. I.A. But it's got the Y.E. so it's yay. It shares the middle E. I.A. 
E. By likely. Lickily? Likely. Water slide diving board Ladder to the Sky <laughs> by Porridge Radio. <laughs> and Akhorn uh, by Zola Jesus. Or Akhorn. That's, that's, oh, that's an M, not an RN. I don't know, <laughs> actually. I, I don't remember which one it is. Is it M or is it RN? Akhorn? Or Ark. Arkhorn? Arkham Asylum. Arkham? <laughs> Zola Jesus, tell us what your album is. Uh, anyways, that's a lot. Anyways, let's get into some music news. And oh, this is a sad one. All right. Where, where, where are your black bands? Pour uh, one out. Pour one out. Uh, <laughs> say a little prayer. The iPod is dead. Mm-hmm. Yes, you heard that correctly. Apple has been a fond farewell to the last model of its iconic launch of the iPod music player. This is where we play the sad violin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ending oh, oh, oh. the music player's <laughs> two-decade run. Not bad. Uh, the tech giant's original iPod, which was introduced on October 23rd, 2021, was, quote-unquote... 2001. 2001. Because it's 2021. No, it's 2022. Uh, yes. <laughs> October 23rd, 2001. Yeah. Was the first real, quote-unquote, real MP3 player to deliver what was then an unprecedented 1,000. 1,000 songs? Into a compact portable device. Since then, Apple's done absolutely nothing. Huh. Except just introduce a variety of iPod models and versions and colors and sizes and touches uh, and gimmicks. <laughs> Anything else they introduced for the iPod? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Pretty much it. It's a lot of gimmicks. <laughs> yeah. So on Tuesday, the company announced that it was discontinuing the iPod Touch, yeah. uh, the version of the music player that features the iPhone's multi touch interface, which first bowed in 2007. The latest of the iPod Touch models are available to purchase through Apple.com, Apple Locations, Apple Authorized Resales, while supplies last. Yeah. Also eBay, Etsy, uh, Amazon, wherever you can get your hands on it. Yeah. But they've officially announced that they stopped manufacturing it. I mean, in 2022, it's easy to be like, oh, well, we don't need those anymore. Uh, because your phone does pretty much what an iPod did. Um, except without the headphone jack. Um, <laughs> now. But yeah, I mean, at this point, like, I guess they probably just thought about it and probably looked at sales and were like, well, this is redundant. Anybody who wants to listen to music has a device that already does that at this point. And so they don't need a dedicated device for that purpose anymore. But yeah, it's, it's easy to understate, though, how important the iPod was uh, mm-hmm. back when it debuted and through the 2000s. I mean, it's easily, you could, you could name, like maybe one or two other com- like comparable mp3 players that were similar but no most most people had ipods mostly it was ipods um i think i started so i started with the classic with the old classic with the hard drive i was gonna ask how many ipods did you own? oh jesus you're asking the wrong question because i had a lot so i went from the the og classic uh well not the og classic i didn't have a 2001 i think i started in 2004 we had the 2004 classic then moved to a Nano, uh, the, the second generation of the Nano, I want to say. And then that lasted me until I was like, all right, I need a downgrade. And then I got um, a Shuffle 
But the shuffle that had the screen for the first time. Mm. Then I moved to touch. And then I lost one of the touch when I totaled my forward focus. I put, they said they, the insurance place, like they put all of my stuff in a box. And when I asked for the iPod was, they suddenly didn't know. <laughs> and so I had to get another, a new one of those. So I uh, ended up having a second one. And I, then I think I had to sell that when I was unemployed in like 2015. Mm. And I needed money. Then I think in like 2018, I bought the most recent version of the Touch just to see, just to have a dedicated one for work. And um, I still have it, but it's been battery dead forever because, again, I don't need it anymore. I use my phone, and when I'm listening to music, I'm either in my car or at home. So, yeah, it's just, it, it's been a different, it's a different generation where you listen to music in a different way than we used to. So I've had a total of two iPods. Oh, wow. Okay. One that was stolen. Oh. Uh, when I was in high school. Damn. Yeah. Uh, second one, I still have somewhere. <laughs> Don't even remember. Boxed up. Yeah. Uh, but I know when I look at it, it's like, oh, like here's all my old like high school and college playlists. Because I took a music class, and one of the uh, tests on it was, Identify this song and why right. it's important. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you were in that class. I you? was also in that class. I think you were. Uh, that was the one with. Um, C sharp. Yeah. Yes. That, that was also in uh, the one where one of the children of the um, the the um, shit. Uh, not the what what. Children of the corn. No. <laughs> Never mind. I'll think about it. Uh, but yeah, I think I did take that class. Maybe not in the same semester you did. I don't think you were in the same semester, yeah. but yeah. Because mine was history of rock and roll. That yes. Took. Yeah. You might have taken the same one. Yeah. I might have, actually, you might have been the one who told me to take it. I believe I did, yes. I think it was. Uh, yeah, so I just put all the music on for that class. Brothers. That's what it was. One of the kids of one of the Righteous Brothers was in my class. Okay. And she was like already in her like 30s in this <laughs> college class. And she and, and the professor ended up becoming friends because the professor wanted to hear all of the stories all about the story. her dad. Of course. <laughs> because of course he did. Because of course he did. Anyway, sorry. Anyways, yeah. So I put like all the music on that iPod. So there's like a playlist of just like that class. That's funny. On there somewhere too. But iPods were great. I yeah. loved my iPods. All of them were wonderful, and I miss them. But again, I don't need it. Doesn't I don't need it anymore. Right. With the development of streaming and basically getting any song at any point. Yeah. Even if you don't have the streaming of Apple or Spotify or dare I say Tidal. Yeah. You dare. You have YouTube. You have Google. Yeah. There's other ways to get music to listen to. But still, RIP, the iPod was a wonderful device when it lasted. It meant a lot to a lot of people, especially people who are obsessed with music. And yeah, it will be remembered fondly in the, the canon of electronic devices that, that, that like were important and pivotal. You know, one of my favorite stories, always, of when an iPod and iTunes was first around. It's always about kids just downloading all the music for a dollar and yeah. then parents getting outrageous, like, bills because of it. <laughs> oh, wait. We're still doing that with microtransactions. Yeah, it never changed. No, it's never, never changed. Never changed. Never learned. <laughs> anyway. Rip iPod. Um, My iPod. Okay. Yeah. Okay, last antidote um, I'll say of the iPod <laughs> is that it has outlasted the Mariners playoff drought <laughs> if you saw that as well ouch <laughs> so uh, in 2001 was the last time the mariners seattle mariners yeah we're kind of like combining stories here sports <laughs> we're in the playoffs 
the last game they played was on October 22nd, 2001. Damn. The next day, the iPod was released to the public. <laughs> and here we are at the end of the iPod with the Mariners having never made the playoffs <laughs> in its entire lifespan. Well, yeah. Cross your fingers, I guess, if you're a Mariners fan. The best you could probably do is a wild card spot. Let's move on! <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to our second story. Hey, baby. <laughs> Let's move on to our second story. Uh, talking about crossing over with movie session and the Minions. Yeah, this is a little bit of a crossover. It was a slow music week. Give me a break. I thought this was funny, so I included it. Well, it's hilarious because Jack Antonoff, yes, that Jack Antonoff, known for all pop hits everywhere. And we'll that, talk about it again later. Yep, he has confirmed uh, the official Extremely 70s riffic track <laughs> tracklist for Minions, The Rise of Gru. Uh, that was yeah. also on Tuesday, uh, which that film, uh, Minions, is slated for release on July 1st, just around the corner. Yeah. The soundtrack features Diana Ross, Tim Impala, St. Vincent, Brock Hampton, <laughs> Callie Urches, and others covering hits uh, from 70s material. From Cool and the Gang, Nancy Sinatra, The Carpenters, John Lennon, and many more. <laughs> uh, Ashnoff shared the colorful, cryptic poster <laughs> listing the collection of artists which first appeared on the streets of London recently, also adding that the recording sessions were, quote, some of the most special and bizarre, <laughs> and promising uh, he would share those stories one day. So, yeah. Why am I bringing this up? Well, like I said, because it's funny. But also because, yeah, the names that he got to do this thing are ridiculous and wide, widespread. Like, it, it's kind of... I, I, And the fact that it's covers album of, like, 70s hits is mm -hmm. fascinating to me. It's the, only, it's the only soundtrack I might actually try to listen to just out of curiosity. And the fact that Jack was like, oh, yeah, some of the recording sessions were totally weird. I want to see the special. Like, that like has footage, behind-the-scenes footage of all these people doing these stupid 70s songs. Available only on Peacock. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, so I guess this means, so the title implies that we're going to have uh, a little bit of backstory, a bit of lore about the character of Gru. Does that mean we're going back to the 70s? Is that yes. the reason for the soundtrack? So, at the end of Minions, yeah. he, they, the Minions themselves meet up with Gru as uh, he's a kid. Okay. So it's as Kid grew. Kid grew's growing up in growing like, up, I guess, with the, the 70s. Minions. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. Because Fine. that's the only way it makes sense to have adult grew yeah, in 2008, yeah. whenever that film came out, 2011? 2010-ish. I don't remember. Something like that. Something like that. But yeah. Um, but yeah. Prepare for I 70s funk. I don't have high hopes for that movie, obviously. No. The last Minions movie was but, utter garbage. But hey. Uh, Jack Antonoff? Something good might come out of it. Also... Side, a side note to this story is, did you see Eminem's tweet? Yes, with all with the, the minions. minions saying happy birthday to it. I thought it was a congratulations on oh, the whole thing. Was it congratulations? Oh, that was right. It wasn't happy birthday. You're right. It was congratulations on the whole thing. I was like, what yes. the hell? Supposedly, <laughs> this is also problem. related, not necessarily to the soundtrack, but Eminem is doing something involved yeah. with the Minions. No, project. I think he, he released the first single. Okay, from all right. So, yeah, I was like, like, because he released the single for it, and then, like, two days later, he got confirmed, and then they put out that poster as if they knew he was going to be... I just... Or it's like, hey, we'll have this ready just 
for what it is to get to them. Think of it's just when you think of Eminem, you don't think of him somebody who would appreciate the minions. That's all. No, but <laughs> in the background of that poster was the green Eminem, and I did appreciate that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think of one. Anyways, let's move on. We listen to some music. All right, let's save one of these for last. All right, so and let's do the other two. Okay, so talk to me about. This Radiohead spinoff project. Yeah, this won't take very long. Uh, so last week we talked about the a new record coming out by a couple members of uh, Radiohead. You were going to say the Radiohead, yeah, weren't the you? the Radiohead. <laughs> yes, the Radiohead. No, uh, uh, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, of course, uh, known for being the main members of Radiohead uh, for years and years and years. And they don't have the fastest release schedule. I feel like a Radiohead album comes out maybe every three or four years at this point. Mm-hmm. So when they do something, it's usually an event. And it's not that they haven't done side projects before. There have been side projects with the members of Radiohead before. But I feel like this is the first one that feels like it's a big deal. Like, in, in, at least the first one in a while. They've been doing the late night circuit um, as The Smile, which is what they're calling themselves. And they put out a proper LP uh, this week. And, um, hey, I got good news for people who like Radiohead. This thing sounds like Radiohead. But hey. I got even better news for people who maybe are only okay about Radiohead. It's good. It sounds like good Radiohead. So if you think that, like, oh, Radiohead is boring and dour, which is a thing that I think of, like, about them a lot. Like, whenever I've tried to get into Radiohead. Like, you mean, like, post-90s? Well, okay. This is the way I'll put it. If you ask any Radiohead fan or... I'm oh, sorry, post-2000, I don't like say yeah. post-90s. I mean, actually, you're right on. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, usually the biggest Radiohead fans say, oh, their 2000 record Kid A is their best record. Mm -hmm. But every time I listen to Kid A, I don't get it. I'm just, I'm an OK Computer guy, which was the year before. And I think that that was good because it was actually, like, guitar. It was a rock album. And I don't know what it is about, like, about, um, about Kid A, but whatever the... this pivot they make, it just, they just lose me. And every time I tried to get into Radiohead, I was just like, all right, I don't get it. But the good news is, is that what they're doing here with The Smile, maybe because they have a little bit more freedom not being subjected to that Radiohead name, not having to fill up, fulfill those expectations, there's a lot of experimentation going on here, and there's a lot of different styles. It is a very, like, like all, all over the place in a good way record they try a lot of different things there's even stuff that sound like okay computer uh creep era radiohead and so i was actually kind of shocked how much i had uh, much of a good time i had with this not to say there isn't those like droney electronic like more latter day radiohead sounds happening on some of the songs absolutely still there but it's a good mix and a good variety so by the end of it i was like you know what yeah it's good. It's quality stuff, and um, it seems like the people who actually love Radiohead um, are also enjoying it. So I say, hey, uh, good on them. Good for keeping relevant after all these years, and good for doing something new, as opposed to feeling like they had to stay in their lane. So uh, yeah, it's it's good. Check it out if you've ever liked Radiohead. It's uh, some good similar vibes uh, kind of kind of project. Nice. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Then I believe we both. Uh, listen to the next one. Florence plus the machine. It's and. Flor- yeah, I know. Okay. Florence and her machine. They're yes. all back uh, with a new record. Yes. Dance Fever. Yeah. Not Florence Pugh. Florence Welch. Yes. Makes a difference. Big difference. Yes. Dance Fever. Um, 
Was it Dancy? I don't think so. But that gave me a good fever. <laughs> fever. This is a good song. This is a good album. Yeah, it's... It was fun. It's fun stuff. I mean, well, is it, though? Oh, okay. <laughs> when, you, when you open uh, about... What's this one? King, the thing where it opens with? Yeah. And it's talking about, like... Mm, uh-huh. Maybe not uh, appropriate subjects? So here's the thing about this record. So... Florence the Machine. They, she, uh, Florence and her band have made kind of a career on big-sounding songs with a like big choruses and baroque-like instrumentation, like bringing in harps and strings and just big, like ornate, kind of sounding songs. And in the past, it's mostly been like celebratory or like emotional songs. This though, I feel like, and we're say, we saw a lot most of these in in uh, twenty twenty one because it was exactly a year after the the like the pandemic started. This is a pandemic record, and instead of approaching it in a pandemic way, the sound of it, that's what Florence is doing lyrically here. Mm-hmm. It is a very dark record lyrically. She it's very personal. She's talking throughout about her like her struggles with like depression and her self-image and dealing with fame and celebrity and like interpersonal relationships gone wrong and or or problems with being perceived differently by the person that you're that you're seeing than you see yourself um and from top to bottom like it's very very dark content here but the production is so big in classic Florence the Machine style, that yeah, it is kind of a combination of those two. It moods. did remind me a lot of the Holly record. Similar, yeah, out. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but, but the thing is, if you're a Florence fan, though, it won't feel too different until you actually sit down and listen to the mm-hmm. lyrics. Then you realize it's like, oh, is she okay? <laughs> is Florence <laughs> all right? So a couple notes about production here. So yeah, aforementioned Jack Antonoff produced the first half of the record, and the second half. I'm going to bring up another name we've already talked about on this podcast. Pro- uh, produced by, I forget his name, but one of the guys from Glass Animals. Oh. Yes. So, okay. And what it does produce is a different feeling first and second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do get, like, feel, it does feel like of two different pieces. But still the same kind of Florence uh, situation. So, yeah, but no, you're right. I had a good time with this thing. It's, it feels big. It's The production's great. I tweeted this, but, like, I just wish that Jack could have gotten some of this kind of sound out of Lord for uh, solar power because mm-hmm. if anything, solar power needed and needed a little bit more energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a sleepy little record. This has energy. This has momentum. This goes places, and yeah, and and there's a variety of stuff happening here. There's like little interlude style songs that only take a few, like about a minute, before you get to the next big, big song. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I texted you. I, I don't think that that daffodil was going to be on, on every movie trailer. Oh yeah, this, for better or for worse, there... Florence does make movie trailer music. Yes, but in a good way um, because I think that there's no there's no lack of artistry here. I think the artistry, like I said, are in the lyrics. It's probably the most personal she's ever gotten on one of these records. And um, yeah, it's just it, it's a pretty big, a pretty good achievement. And I think I liked her last one too. So she's on a roll right now, even though not as many people are talking about her. Um, so definitely, yeah, one of the better, um, I guess, I don't even know what you'd call it, pop-adjacent pop records. Rock. 
Yeah, I don't even know. Rock rock? It's not really any of those things. Florence makes her own style of music and good for her, is yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Um, might talk about more of this uh, towards the end of the year. Yeah, maybe. As we get towards maybe. our lists. If it sticks around, there's a it's... lot of music. Unlike video games, there are a lot of music <laughs> coming out this year. Oh, yeah, we just discussed a lot yeah. of video games. Oh, boy. We'll get there. But yeah, um, definitely it couldn't be a hard year to pick. Uh, but we'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. Speaking of getting there, something that already came and is here. All right. Hundred or one thousand eight hundred eighty days later, <laughs> Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Releases right. his next album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. All right. So I'm gonna get ahead of this before I start talking about how I feel about it. I've only listened to this thing once. Uh, I need to I, say I that one more than yeah. I did because I only got through about three or four songs. I need to say that because what Kendrick has made here is, I think, even more so than his previous records, is a record that's going to require a lot of thinking about, like a lot of not necessarily like research or homework. Like it's all pretty clear what he's saying, but. It's gonna. I feel like a lot of people are gonna need to sit with this thing for a while and really think about its place in both Kendrick's discography and in rap as a genre and in music right now in 2022. It is a statement record. It is also a therapy record. Kendrick Lamar really wants you to know that he has a therapist now and that he's been working through some shit. Mm. And the album feels like a therapy session. It feels like somebody who is trying to figure out what he thinks about certain things, whether it's societal, societal pressures or himself or interpersonal struggles, similar to Florence. But unlike Florence, it's not just him like talking about personal stuff. It's him trying to tackle very, very big, large issues, but not feeling 100% sure he knows how. It's a messy record. It's all over the place. There's no cohesive sound, unlike what Kendrick's been able to do before. Like, with Good Kids, with Good Kid, Mad City, which is how most people come, came across him, that was very much like, I'm going to tell a story of me growing up and some bad stuff that happened uh, in Compton. It's about the city. It's about my, like, teenage years. And it's about what it's like to live that life. It was very clear. It had a goal, and it accomplished that goal. With... To Pimp a Butterfly, which came later, it was very much like, I'm going to talk about the black experience in America and how that interweaves into American history. And I'm also going to use this jazz fusion style of music to tell that story. Also, Cohesive Vision told one thing throughout with minor uh, trips outside of that. And then with Damn, it was like a very different, like, it was a little bit more of a variety and a little bit more of a contemporary sound, but it still felt like a whole. It still felt like a piece. Like, by the end of it, you were like, yeah, no, that, that's a statement that Kendrick was trying to make. None of that is true about, about Mr. Morrell and the Big Steppers. It feels like he has so much on his mind right now over the last two years specifically that he just needed to get it all on paper and he just needed to get all of this messy stuff all out so that way he could feel better about himself again like a therapy session mm -hmm. it feels like it's and i don't know and so basically that's why i said i've only listened to it once and honestly i don't know if i want to listen to it again 
not that I can't. It's just that I don't know if I want to go through that roller coaster of an experience a second time or a third time. It's going to be tricky. And you're probably thinking, like, oh, well, are there singles that you'd return to? Because on a normal album, you'd be able to say that. But I'm not even sure if I can answer that because and I've seen a lot of other critics say this about this record. I'm not even sure if there are singles in the traditional like definition of the word on this record. I can't think of any single song on this that would get radio play. Hmm. It's a very different thing he's doing here, and I'm sure it's all on purpose. Um, the messiness has its benefits, uh, which is that when Kendrick's on a roll, he's as good as he's ever been. And there's some amazing talent on this record. There's amazing sounding songs. There's some great production. Every song on this thing has like seven people producing it. It's amazing. Like the, the clientele on this thing and the guest spots like all over the place. And then, yeah, some people that you maybe don't want to see as much show up as well, like Baby Keen and Kodak Black. Oh boy, that's another mm. can of worms. But Summer Walker shows up on this thing too. And there's, there's, there's highlights as well, but... And so when Kendrick is good, he's great. There are moments on this thing that are incredible and remind you of how priceless of an artist he is and how talented of a guy he is. But because it's so messy, you also get the flip side of that. You get some really messy stuff on this record, some stuff that maybe you have to think about, like, you're like, why did he record this? Why does he want this on his record? And this is when I talk about one of the songs, and... I'm going to be careful about how I talk about this, because it's complicated. Uh, there's a song on here called Anti-Diaries. Um, I saw a discussion about this song before I listened to the song, and it kind of, I'm glad I looked at it that before, because it kind of guard, like prepared me for it. Um, so I'm not going to speak from my perspective here. I'm going to use the perspective of trans people. Uh, that I was reading a conversation of online between a few uh, trans people, uh, trans women specifically. And this song, Anti-Diaries, is about accepting trans people in your life. On paper and on the surface, awesome, cool, Kendrick absolutely should be recording a song about how you should, uh, like, uh, like that, about the, like, the evils of transphobia and how you should embrace your trans uh, family members. On paper, that's a great idea, especially when you have people that Kendrick has in the past been very close with, like Dave Chappelle, harassing the trans community and making life difficult for them on a public scale. And so it's good in a lot of ways for Kendrick to be setting an example in his genre and in music as a whole, putting a statement like this and say, like, no, I am I like I I do not like condone um, mistreatment of these people. But the method matters. The way that you talk about these things matters. And I think the way that Kendrick wrote this song, and this is, again, the perspective of trans people, was kind of stumbled into some bad habits. Um, he misgenders the people in that he was telling the story about throughout the duration of this song. And he also uses the F slur even when the context, several times, multiple times, even though in the song he's also saying that he knows it's wrong to use it. Also in the song, he kind of compares this to an experience that I believe the press wrote a lot about a few years ago. He was at a concert. This was around, I believe, the release of Damn, or maybe this was a Butterfly thing. 
There was a moment in a concert where Kendrick invited a, a, some blonde girl up to stage to sing a song with him. The blonde girl used the N-word during the song, and it, he stopped the performance. I remember watching this video, and he, he stopped the performance basically telling her, hey, you can't say that. Mm. In this song, in the lyrics of the song, he likens that event to, as a metaphor for whether or not he should be using that word, the F-slur, when talking about people who are gay or trans. But it doesn't keep him from saying it multiple times on this song, which almost to me, I don't know what it does to the point he's trying to make. Because ultimately the message of the song when it gets to the end is that he believes that these people should be supported and it doesn't matter and all like, and, and, but, but again, the way the details get him, because the way that he does it in the song, these people who are having this conversation online were saying, it doesn't, it kind of defeats his whole point. It makes me feel uncomfortable and makes me feel I don't want to listen to this. So he tried so hard to make a statement here and he misses the mark for the people who it's directed at, ostensibly. And I think that song operates on a higher level about what the problems with this record is. So many times there are songs where he's trying to tackle something that's much bigger than him. And you would think, again, like up until this point, we thought that Kendrick Lamar was somebody who could do that because he's extremely talented and usually in his big record size statements is very good at tackling these kind of issues. It seems like he's, he's doing it the right way. Here, though, I think he tries so much. He tries too much. And I think it, it's almost like he realizes that he can't. Like he's not per like he knows he's not perfect. There are songs on this record that set where he talks about that, about how he's not sure whether he should be an idol. That he doesn't believe in like looking up at, to like people as idols. That that's a recipe for disaster. He doesn't want people to feel like that he's going to be their savior. There's a literally a song called Savior on this record about that. One right before. It. Yeah, right before it, which is ironic. But and that's what what brings us back to the whole thing where this feels like a therapy session. It feels like he's just trying to say what he's thinking regardless. And that's a theme that comes up across the, the record as well. The idea that he, I think what the core belief that maybe I disagree with that he seems to have here that's created this entire vibe of this record is, he believes that it's important to say what you think and be honest about it ahead of all else. You see this mentality with people like Dave Chappelle. You see this mentality with the people who are very vocal about cancel culture right now the idea that because free speech exists and that's a can of worms we don't have time to get into what actually that means but because free speech ostensibly exists and that people should be honest with each other he believes that no matter what he's saying as long as you're not necessarily hurting someone else or maybe you are i don't know it's complicated i guess um, in this case uh, that he believes you should be able to say it and again, the crux of that, I don't know if I agree with. But that has formed the way he's thinking about himself right now. And if that's where he's gotten with his therapy, then it's somewhere, I guess. If that's what he's working through right now, then cool. But, but to me, to put that, me like that messy thought process out as art, as something that is to be consumed... It's great that he's making it, and I respect it that he's making it, and I think it's cool that somebody can make that and can do that in a in a formal way. But the actual act of sitting down and listening to it, it feels 
like a mess. It feels muddy. It feels complicated in a way that doesn't make me think, ooh, that was a good record. Good job, Kendrick. It makes me feel by the time I get to the end of it where I'm like, oh boy, I'm exhausted and and I have all these feelings about how I feel about this guy. therapy after this? Yeah, it's very much something that I feel like is going to hit all sorts of different people, all sorts of different ways. And I don't think, in a way similar to how The Matrix Resurrections worked for a lot of people last year, I don't think, it's something that defies criticism, Mm. in a way. I don't think you're going to be able to be like, oh, I'm going to slap a number on this and call it a day. I'm really looking forward to see what Pitchfork does when they review this. They haven't yet, because I don't know what you do with reviewing something like this. Do you review it as music? But when there's when he's trying to say and address so many things, that has to be part of the music, right? It's all part of the music. And so it's, I don't know. I can't get my head around it. I'm sure it's good. Technically, it's very good. Technically, you talked about it for about 10 minutes now. Yeah, but it's baggage of the album. It's baggage of the album? It's baggage of the album. It's all his baggage and society's baggage. Mr. Mer- Mr. Kedrick, Mr. Lamar and the big baggage? It is, the, yeah, it is the baggage of being alive in 2022. And for him, specifically, being black and being a celebrity in 2022. And all of that in a blender and how it made him feel and has made him feel over the last few years and, or over the course of his life in certain in certain songs. And so it's very much like it's a statement, but I'm not really sure whether it's a statement I necessarily agree with, is I think, I guess, what I'll say. Also, there's a song on here that's six minutes of a couple yelling at each other. <laughs> that you should know going in, because I feel like a lot of people are going to bounce right off of it. Just letting people know. Anyway, that's Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> oh, boy! Yeah, like I said, I haven't listened to this whole thing, but I don't know if I want to finish it now. It's the third in my row of things that I feel like on paper I should like, and I felt I came out of, like, completely, like, baffled by. Everything, everywhere, all at once, and then Arcade Fire's Wii, mm-hmm. and now this. And I'm just like, is it is this part of me getting old? Is this part of me being older, where I look at this art and I'm like, I can't just make a decision about it anymore? I have to, like, sit with it forever? Did Matrix Resurrections break my critical brain? Is that what's happened? Um, you, this is the first one I can think of where, it was like, where I was like, I don't know if it's good, but I liked it, but I don't know why, and I can't, I gotta think about it for a while. But this is the opposite. These are three things in a row that I'm like, I don't know, I don't think I liked it, but it definitely seems like it was doing some stuff. It definitely made you feel things. Yeah, and, and again, is that is if that's what art's supposed to do, then all of these are art. Mm-hmm. All of this is great art in that way, because it really, you have to sit with it and think about it. It all, all four of these things do that. It's just that as you get older, I guess you really have to consider what you want to spend your time doing. And these are all things, except for Matrix of Directions, that I don't know if I want to spend my time with beyond what I've spent it with so far. I don't know. I don't know. Food for thought. But listen to it. Make your own decisions. I'm not going to do our patented media boat scale here because I think the scale would break and a spring <laughs> would pop out and... Yeah, I don't know. I basically all I'm saying is, all you professional music critics who have to put somehow put words together and review this thing, I am sorry. <laughs> Good luck. My hats off to you. This is why we don't get paid. <laughs> this is why we don't get paid for this. 
that's what I have to say about this thing. Anyway. Anyways. That's... Hopefully you guys aren't uh, too done with us as we are yeah. with Kendrick Lamar. Boy. Let's move on to something happier. Something hopefully. happier. Uh, yeah, we'll get there. less complicated. Jeez. Yep. Uh, <laughs> video games, and we start with new releases. We sure do. Yep. And we have Deadcraft for everything. Yeah. If you got it, you can play it. Deadcraft. Whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> next up, Deliver Us the Moon for PS5 and Xbox Series X. Yep, getting its next gen version after being on everything else for a while. Soldiers, S O U L. <laughs> I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. <laughs> I can't remember who sings that. That's the Killers. The killers, yes. <laughs> like I got soul, yeah, but yeah. I'm not a soldier. <laughs> uh, that's on everything. Yeah. Uh, I do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know that song. Things that I've done. Yep. Uh, we also have Cotton Fat Fantasy, which is a great name. I don't know what it is. <laughs> For the PS4 and the Switch. I just want to dive right into a cotton fantasy right now. Oh. Uh, Fabric of our life. Dolman for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, yeah, Xbox Series X, and the PC. Yeah. Sorry, Switch owners. But lastly, the big release. Is it? Well, it's on everything. Yeah. It's also a DLC, I think. Vampire, <laughs> colon, The Masquerade, dash, Swan song. Honestly, at this point, I feel like a new Vampire the Masquerade game is coming out like every week. And I do not know where they're all coming from. Right, I don't so know what they are. DLC. Every week, I'm like, is this the multiplayer thing? They're like, I guess it is. Well, this is the Swan Song, so this is like the end. Maybe. I Maybe. Don't know. I have no idea anymore. <laughs> well, speaking of a Swan Song, that's yes, our first story. Indeed. As EA, yes, unfortunately, we're talking about that EA, yeah. has confirmed that it's ending its partnership with FIFA. Yes, that FIFA. Unfortunately, we have to talk about that FIFA. Wait, so is this one bad company <laughs> breaking up with another bad company? It does appear that is the case, yes. Yes. And it kind of is. So, following EA's next entry into the FIFA series, uh, which will be FIFA 23, which will be later this year, yeah. EA will begin, quote, a new era... With the introduction of EA Sports FC series. Yeah. So after ending its near 30-year partnership with FIFA, EA said it will launch the new franchise alongside over 300 licensed partners. Uh, quote, Everything you love about our games will be part of EA Sports FC. The same great experiences, modes, leagues, tournaments, clubs, and athletes will be there. Uh, Ultimate Team, Career Mode, Pro Club, and Volta Football will all be there. So Said EA yeah. Sports General Manager Cam Weber. We've known this was going to happen. Uh, it's been very public. EA has been very public about their dealings with FIFA over the last mm -hmm. few years. FIFA basically came to EA and wanted twice the amount of money that they were being paid every year for renewal of the license. EA, of course, said no. So that's what ultimately happened. But also, this benefits EA in the long term because dealing with a company like FIFA has been pretty lousy for their public image at this point. Mm -hmm. FIFA is an organization that seems to get more corrupt by the year. 
And it doesn't surprise me that they'd be very happy to move on from what FIFA's uh, reputation has become. And they're doing it in the middle of a World Cup year, yeah. where it's going to be in Qatar, right. which they haven't canceled yet. Yeah, yet, somehow. A um, couple of notes about this. So, as they said, they've made the deals outside of FIFA to get all of the team names. And so, yeah, that's what it means by 300 different partners. Uh, because they've actually, like, sidestepped the umbrella organization and just gone directly to the teams in order to make this happen. To the teams or the leagues? The leagues and the teams. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, it's smart because that means that they're able to sell basically the same product that they've been selling, just with a different name. You just can't use FIFA logos. Yeah. Which I think they're going to be okay with. Which is fine, because you'll need it. So... The second part of this is, will FIFA absolutely go to a different video game developer and try to make another soccer game? Absolutely. So look forward to... 2K FIFA. Yep, look forward to a FIFA name on a different product that's going to confuse a lot of parents. Yep. Uh, It's like when PEC comes out every year. It's like, oh, it's got a soccer guy on it. (laughs) Isn't this what you wanted? Wrong one. Wrong one. I I want the other one. So, yeah, I don't know. I I believe this is probably the best long-term move for EA, but it does not mean that, and ultimately people who like it, uh, EA's soccer game, will still have EA's soccer game. But, yeah, I don't know if anybody really loses here. Um, I mean, FIFA, when they eventually dissolve. I hope so. Someday. (laughs) Hopefully. Not in our lifetime. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird story. It's a long time coming, but uh, I don't think it, what I'm saying is I don't think really anybody is like crying about this. I don't think anybody's upset that the FIFA name is going to go away. Uh, yeah, well, they can't call it a FIFA Ultimate Team anymore. Yeah, foot. they call it FC Ultimate Team. Yeah, foot cut. Cut. The F cut. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, while we wait for that, we'll be waiting even longer. For a couple of Bethesda games. Yeah. As Bethesda has officially <laughs> delayed the release of both Starfield and Redfall from this year <laughs> to next year. Yeah. In a statement <laughs> uh, published on Thursday, the Xbox-owned publisher, Bethesda, said it needed more time to develop the games. Quote, We've made the decision to delay the launches of Redfall and Starfield to the first half of 2023. Mm. The teams at Arcane Austin, which is producing Redfall, and Bethesda Game Studios, which is producing Starfield, have incredible ambitions for their games, and we want to ensure that you receive the best, most polished version of them. Uh, so yeah, there's two things about the story. One, the good news is is that a, a, a publisher known for putting out buggy open-world games, okay, you Skyrim, mm-hmm. um, gets more time to polish Starfield, which is great, because if that game comes out and has the same problems as Fallout and Elder Scrolls games typically do, I think it's going to be very hard for them to sell it as a new franchise that matters. I think you can't do that in 2022 or 2023 in this case. You have to make sure that that game works and looks good while it's doing it. As for Redfall... Arkane Austin has a little better of a reputation when talking about that stuff. But still, there's no harm done in making sure the games work like they're intended and making sure they are as good as they possibly can look and play. Of course, the downside here is that this takes another two big AAA releases out of the 2022 schedule, leaving 
room for not a whole lot. It leaves room for God of War, because it's going to rule it. Hopefully, Maybe, hopefully it doesn't get delayed. Yeah, that's kind of the last yeah. domino that we're waiting for to fall, because Nintendo moved back Breath of the Wild 2, mm -hmm. and now these two are out of the Xbox lineup. Sony's really got to execute on God of War and maybe put out whatever they're planning to do with The Last of Us, whether it's that remake of the first game and the multiplayer or maybe both. Uh, whatever they're going to do. Well, Nintendo also has Pokemon Nintendo Scarlet has Pokemon later. Scarlet and Violet as well, still slated. Mm -hmm. But it feels like what we've experienced in 2022 is even those givens could also be pushed back. We don't know if anything's guaranteed. And these are AAA games. Yeah. So ultimately, I don't know. Um, I'm glad that they're going to work on those games. But man, 2022... It's becoming kind of a desert. Well, what happened to the back half of the year? Did they front load everything? It seems, it feels like that. Everything got front loaded. I mean, I mean, it's good Did year. Saints Row get delayed? Uh, it was delayed. It was supposed to come out in February. Yeah, no, no. August game. Yeah, no. It's still an August game. Okay, so beyond August. Yeah, Saints Row maybe. That's true, but is that what we call a triple A big release at this point? I don't know if it is. No, it's a franchise game. They're trying to prove themselves. It's got a name behind it. Reboot. Yeah, it's a reboot. Yeah. I don't know. Um, twenty twenty two is gonna be a weird year. I mean, there could be things coming that will be announced this summer that maybe we don't know about yet. Um, Jeff Keighley got out with the summer games mess. I mean, fest uh, dates, so that's happening as scheduled. No E three, but that will probably be more than most of the year. I wonder how much of this is happen. Uh, companies changing engines to Unreal Five. I bet that that's probably a lot of it. On top of already difficult. Uh, development conditions because of work from home and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm sure it's all that stuff and more. If anything, 2023 is going to be great. <laughs> you know, you know what we said in 2021 about 2022? Hey, that's what game development looks like <laughs> at this point. That's how movies were for a while, too. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, well, next year... Anyway. Yeah, shuffle release calendar. We talk about that every single time. But speaking of the front-loaded year that we've had so far... You finished a couple of bangers from I finished two year. really good games that I've been playing that yes. we've talked about that I've kept saying, I'm playing it, I'm playing it, I'm playing it. Well, guess what? You wrapped them up. I happened to finish them both in the same week. Yeah. For two completely different reasons. Yeah. Uh, first one I'm going to talk about, because I finished it first, was Kirby. So Kirby, you have Forgotten World. This. I have not. So this is now Kirby, the Forgotten game for you. <laughs> oh, very funny. Very funny. <laughs> Talked about all my own. Uh, so yeah, so I actually beat a Kirby game, our first one yeah, ever. Yeah, great. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think my thoughts are going to change much from when we first talked about it. Yeah. It's a fun, easy game. I like the co-op mode of it. Um, I liked all the um, different abilities, the upgrading. It's very platformy, and then floating physics everywhere, but I like the challenges in it. It's very yeah. fun, very easy to pick up. Um. I don't know if it makes you want to go back to previous games. I think I mentioned that to you before. Yeah. On the last time about it, but... Well, now is the best time. Because there's Kirby games on the NES service, on yep. the Nintendo Switch Online, on the Super NES. And, coming Friday, Kirby 64 will come on to the Mint 64 service for the hey. expansion pack. I'm very excited to go back to that. Yeah, so I beat the game, and then I beat it again, and then I beat it again for the third ending, the, the quote-unquote... True ending. True ending. So now I have just a bunch of collectibles to go back into and get if I want to. But mm -hmm. 
I had a lot of fun with this game. This is a fun game. This okay. is a fun, fun game for everyone. Um, <laughs> the mechanics are very easy to pick up and run with. Does it feel repetitive at times? Kind of. But I think the different abilities that you continuously get and the different ways you can explore and upgrade them helps keep it fresh, helps keep it interesting. Yeah. And it's something that you're not ever going to get bored with. So it's a really good executed Kirby game. Cool. Yeah, no. I intend on, you know, try to get further in it today while we're watching Doubleheader. Yep. And, um, yeah, try to finish that up as well before the end of the year. I will probably add it to my end of the year list, depending on what else comes out. Yeah. Speaking of things that are going to be on my end of the year list. Yes, absolutely. With a Three months. <laughs> Time it. Yes. As of, what, like two hours ago, I think I beat yeah. it. <laughs> uh, three months since its release, I have finally completed Horizon Forbidden West. <laughs> and by completed, I do mean completed. I think I'm two trophies away from actually planning in the game. Um... But they're, I, I want to say they're both arena stuff, so it's like the, the grinding arena things. But everything else, all the other side quests, all the other side missions, all the camps, collecting, uh, cauldrons, exploration, done, completed. <laughs> this is a beast of a game. Really There's so much to do. So like much. I said, I spent three months going through this game. In fact, I probably spent, like, the last month cleaning up everything once I hit, like, oh, okay, I think I know that this is going to be, like, the actual ending because I prepared all my forces. I'm ready for what seems like a final assault. I'm going to now take my time to go in and clean up everything. Yeah. So a lot of that may sound like busy work and just, like, doing checkboxes, but because there's so much variety in this game, and that's what that's the thing about Horizon for Midwest, is that it is variety, variety, variety. A little bit here, a little bit there. But it's not like a little bit, a little bit more. So it's like portion here, portion there. <laughs> it's a buffet of different experiences that you're going to have with right. Forbidden West. I mean, yeah, we talk this game to death on this podcast. So I'll talk point. it to death even more. I know. I, I will talk about it again at the end of the dead mechanical year. horse. Oh, yeah, no. But yeah, that's the thing. This game, it's synthesized the open world format that Ubisoft arguably um, Assassin's Creed. created with the Assassin's Creed games, but it synthesized it in such a pure, polished version of it that I feel like it is the best version of this experience mm -hmm. that you can get in a video game. Is it potentially as like rewarding as something like an Elden Ring is? Maybe not. Is it as um, poignant of a story as maybe something else like is? No. Like an underdog story. Yeah, exactly. Whereas uh, The Last of Us, thank you. That's a perfect example. But it operates in such a specific way between those two zones that I feel like it finds a really good golden medium. And it's fun throughout. And no matter what you're doing, you're having fun doing it. And the quality of the graphics and the, like, the voice acting and the writing and the lore... And the motion capture on the characters and the facial animation, all of it is such top-notch game design that I don't honestly know how they made it. Like, I don't understand how this thing came to be because it's just working on such a high level of quality in everything that it does. I don't know how they ever finished it. I don't... <laughs> Real people made this. 
when <laughs> when the first one came out, <laughs> I was one of the first ones to say, what, what do you mean you're fighting like robot dinosaurs yeah. with like bows and arrows? I don't get it. That doesn't make sense. Pass. But, and yet here I am yeah. gushing about the sequel, gushing about the first one, and it's well-made games. I can see why uh, the head of Guerrilla Studios would have yeah. become the head of PlayStation Studios because they yeah. just make really good content there. Yeah. I understand why some people have completely put this on the wayside for Elden Ring, but what I will say is there are two very, very different games, but I think what it does, it does an incredibly good job at. And I think we will definitely talk about this game at the end of the year. Oh, I yes. Think this is the one to dethrone. God of War will have to work if pretty it hard. Out. <laughs> if it comes out, we'll have to work pretty hard, I think, to beat this game. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, um, officially completed both of them. So now that means I get to get to my fun game. Yeah? Yeah. Which is? Lego Star Wars. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. My summer game. Summer game. My, my summer... Game done long. It's a game done long. <laughs> I just, like, turn off my brain, right. yeah. check off this box, do all the missions, collect everything. Summer game of the long summers. Yeah. Speaking of which... Which I might pick up for the Switch instead of the PlayStation. Oh, yeah, that makes me a good So I can game. play it more yeah. often. Right. Yeah. Um, and real quick, just to wrap up my uh, thoughts on Wonderlands, I think I've wrapped with that game. Yeah. Uh, like I talked about last time, I talked about it, it's like, it's a Borderlands game, which you already know whether or not that's something you want. And what I have to say is that um, it ended up just feeling like I was snacking on Cheez-Its every time I played it. And you get to the point where you get so many Cheez-Its in you, you're like, I have to stop eating these Cheez-Its. Please take these Cheez-Its away from me. And that's how Wonderlands ultimately made me feel. It's not a whole lot of actual nutrition you're getting from that game. The story is really dumb. The, the humor is so hit or miss that I muted it at a certain point. Like, the missions are Borderlands missions, and they never go too far outside of that zone. So if that's something you want, if you want something, as you said, to turn off your brain mm -hmm. for the summer, then maybe it's worth the, 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 the cheaper price um, that it's at. But ultimately, I don't know if it's good. Like, I just don't know. I just don't want, like, I don't feel like I need to play more of it. Because I feel like the stakes just aren't high enough for me to care. So, that's Wonderlands. So I'm probably going to put that to bed from now on. And, uh, yeah, get back to my, com my comfort food, which is the motherfucking show. Yep. Get back to pitching balls. So Get back to being the closer that you know you can be. Yes. And finish burgers. Of course, finish burgers. I love finish burgers. Yeah. And maybe your ice cream. Yeah, my big hesitation <laughs> of just getting Lego Star Wars for the Switch is because of the frame drops. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone play it on the Switch while streaming, and yeah. every time they got an explosion with bits on it, the stream <laughs> stopped because yeah. there was so much frame drops. Uh, yeah, as much as that would be a good Switch game, it would also look a little bit on the PS5. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it would look real nice. Those Legos would look nice and shiny. Oh, I know. That's it for video games, then. What say we move on to the television section? Yep, uh, we go to television. And we always start with the sports corner. This week in sports, the 80-1 to 1 odd Rich Strike won the Kentucky Derby against all expectation. This horse was not even supposed to race in the Kentucky and Derby. yet, Rich Strike took, um, took the race. Yep, uh, there was a last-minute dropout. The horse was entered on... Thursday, won the race on Saturday. Yes. Originally, it was just going to 
uh, race in the Preakness. Yes. But because it got snuck into the Kentucky Derby, Kentucky yes. Derby, it won. 80 to 1 odds, the, I think, second largest odds ever for a horse. Not bad. And then, put those crowns away, though, because the horse is passing on the Preakness, which means it will not get the Triple Crown. Yep, this is what the owner said, that if they got into the Preakness, they'd probably skip on the Kentucky Derby. If they got into the Kentucky Derby, they'd probably skip on the Preakness in order to give the horse more rest, and that's what is happening. That's what's happening. So, there you go. Congratulations to Rich Strike. Even though, again, and I have to repeat every time there's a, a horse, horse racing race. story on here, horse racing kind of sucks. Anyways, let's yeah. move on. To an exciting hometown story uh, this week. Reed Detmers of the Los Angeles Angels here in Anaheim. I have to mention that. It's legally required for me to mention that they play in Anaheim. Yes, yeah, Los refuse, Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I refuse to call them the Los Angeles Angels without mentioning at least that they are based in Orange County. It's personal. Um, is responsible for the first solo no-hitter this season. First no-no. He also managed to do so as a rookie. Um, I have, We have to put a little asterisk there for the so, solo no-hitter. Yes. Because the Mets did it two weeks ago, combined. but it was a combined three-pitcher. Oh, Five-pitcher. Yes. Five-pitcher combined no-hitter. Also, important to note, there was an error uh, that led to a person on base that was not credited to Stetmers. It was on Jared Walsh. Technical yes. no-no is the best no-no. Technical no-no. But still, if like I said to, like I said in our chat, if there's a zero under the H column, that's a no-hitter, baby. At, at the end of the day, when you look at box scores, <laughs> right. it just says zeros across the board. Yeah, that's, that's a, all that's, it looks for. If it's goose eggs, that's a no-hitter, baby. Yep. That's what I say. So congratulations to Reed Detmers. Hopefully it's not his last. Hopefully this means that, hey, we put together a pretty decent uh, pitching uh, operation this year. The, the pitching and the hitting. Showed up. And the fielding. Keep out, it going for four more months. Yeah, as long as we can <laughs> just keep ahead of Houston. I don't know how we can do that because Houston's ridiculous, but we'll see. Sorry, Mariners. Anyways, hey, let's hey, move hey, on we, to... We, we, crossed, we crossed the one hour mark. Hey, we did it. It worked. It worked. Uh, meanwhile, in football... The still a football player, Tom Brady, already knows what his retirement plan looks like. So, uh, I asked this question to a couple people. Yes. When do you announce <laughs> that you have your next job lined up for, when you're currently working for a different company? I'm not talking about like a side project right. or endorsement. No. I'm talking about like, I know where I'm going to be for the next 10 years <laughs> after I'm done with what I'm currently doing right now. Well... If you answered, absolutely I would, you must be Tom Brady because he's still a football player. He's still signed to a team, but he already knows for the next 10 years of his life, he has signed a $375 million deal with Fox Sports to become a broadcaster. So if you love the Tom and you can't get enough of him, well, you'll have him for another decade on television after um, he stops throwing balls. This is because they unfortunately lost Troy Aikman and Joe Buck did, right. to uh, Monday Night Football. So, naturally, and honestly, did anyone not think this was going to happen? Of course Tom Brady was going to be a sportscaster. Yes, of but, you know. Of course he was going to do this. I've had more experience <laughs> calling games, <laughs> calling sports games, yes. than Tom Brady has. Yes, but Tom Brady has a lot more experience being in sports <laughs> than you do. Yes, but it's a different type of game when you're behind the booth. <laughs> We yeah, got sure. a mic and cameras sure, on you. Sure. And you gotta sure. keep talking for I think, four straight hours. I'm gonna say I think he can handle it. I think he'll do an okay job at it. Now, 
for Spock Sports, you know, whatever. Yeah. But still, um, I guess I want to say congratulations, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about Tom Brady anymore. I- I'll tell you how you feel. <laughs> this $335 million deal, Yeah. that is more money than he's made cumulatively as a quarterback. Jesus Christ. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I am not. That's so fucked up. What the hell, Tom Brady? Stop being so rich. Anyway. Oh, that's on top of his like TB12 brands. Yeah. We move on to basketball. And in case you're wondering about how the NBA Finals are going, we have them pulled up right in front of me right now. Yep. So congratulations to Miami. Yes. And Golden State. And if you're sick of hearing those names, I do not blame you. Because yes, the Heat and the Warriors are back in the finals. Uh, but... They will have to face off either the winner, uh, like either of these winners, either Dallas or Phoenix, who are currently tied in their series, or Boston and Milwaukee, who are also tied in their series. Yep, both of those games in the conference semis go to game sevens. Mm -hmm. If you've not been watching Milwaukee versus Boston, you've missed on some great basketball. Uh Those games have been back and forth, down to the wire. I want to say whoever wins that series is going to win. All right, good to know. More so than like everyone kind of championing Phoenix to win. They're kind of struggling against Dallas right now, which was supposed to be like an easier sweep, but yeah. we'll, see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think whoever wins the Milwaukee Boston goes on to win the finals. Yeah. Well, looking Call forward right to now. that, but also the players might look forward to winning some MVP awards because NBA has announced two new ones for conference finals, named after Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, respectively. Yep, so Larry Bird will be the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah. and Magic Johnson will be the MVP of the Western Conference Finals. That makes Just sense. So, Steph, so the original joke that I've seen on Twitter is that <laughs> this is so Steph Curry can win an MVP award without yeah. actually winning the an M- the MVP, MVP award. award. That's yes. very funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you are more of the hockey persuasion, here's your Stanley Cup playoffs update. Right now, we have the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. Yep. Um, They've already clinched the uh, semis. Yep. Or, 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 sorry, the sec- into the second round. Meanwhile, below them, we have the Calgary, Calgary, Calgary Flames, the Dallas Stars. Yep. Correct. And the Oilers and the Kings all locked up 3-3 for their Game series. sevens are today as we Very speak. Excited. We'll know who wins. After this podcast, we don't know. Ah, and then on the other side of the world, we have the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York, York Rangers. Rangers, also tied three and three in their series, and also also tied three and three. Boston Bruins and uh, I don't even know who the hell they are. Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina Hurricanes. Their logo does not help me at all. It's a hurricane. The eye of a hurricane. I guess that's the eye of a hurricane. Then we also <laughs> Speaking have, of Game 7s, Game 7s everywhere. Yeah, Game 7s are coming to the Maple Leafs and the... Lightning. Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning. And we also have... The Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers. Not to be confused with the Carolina Panthers. Defeated the Capitals. Yep, the Washington Capitals. So there you go. That is your Stanley Cup playoff picture. We'll see what happens today. Yep. We'll see what happens today. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five Game 7s in hockey. Yeah. And two game sevens in basketball. All right. Looking forward to so see what happens. Combined, that is seven game sevens. Yeah. 
in the playoffs right now. Exciting time to be in sports fan. Seven, seven, seven. Like, exciting, no matter what sport you're following, it's exciting time to be a sports fan. A lot of stuff happening. Very exciting games. Very exciting seasons. Also, the USFL continues to happen. Somehow. <laughs> Somehow it still happens. All right. Anything else in sports before we move on to television news? There's some great UFC stuff happening, but right. they got knocked out so fast. Well, there you go. Um, also, Tyson, I think we talked about Tyson Fury last yes, week, we did. Right? Yes, we did. All right. All right. Moving on then into television news. Well, no matter what sport you're following, you're happy, especially if you're following the sport of Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> Doctor Who, not necessarily a sport, but it seems like their fans like to treat it like that, especially when it's time to elect a new Doctor. In this case, we have finally gotten. You, you, you think doctor. they elect a doctor? I know. They don't it's more the like doctor. the Pope. It's more like the Pope. They assign it. <laughs> yes. uh, so, new doctor has been assigned, and it's no other than actor Nukuti Gatwa, who will play the role of the doctor in the new season. A historic casting selection that marks the first time a black person has ever been cast to star in the show's central role full time. That full time is important because I guess in some specials there was a special where they they met yeah. up with a different doctor or a different time the doctor was the doctor, because um, <laughs> you know it, it's time travel, time travels, timey wimey travel. Sure, yes, that words. And there was a time where the doctor was uh, another black doctor, but he was like in prison for like being falsely accused. Ah. They had to break him out in like a different like one of those like uh, Doctor Who specials. I see. This is uh, that was like a one-off. But this, this is, is a full-time, full real numbered doctor. Yes. Twenty-nine-year-old um, Gatwa, best known for his work in the Netflix series Sex Education, was born in Rwanda and raised in Scotland. He began his professional acting career eight years ago after graduating from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, one of the world's top-performing art schools. Guy Harrison, twice nominated for Best Male Comedy Performance at the British Film and Television Awards, he becomes the fourteenth actor to be cast in the role. Uh, following the departure of Jodie Whittaker, who also broke uh, broke some expectations by being the first woman to play the role back in 2017. The new season of Doctor Who is also marked by the return of showrunner Russell T. Davies, who helped revive the show back in 2005 after the previous 15-year hiatus. Davies stepped away from the showrunner role in 2009, but my understanding is he was a fan favorite. People really liked those first few uh, years I, of the reboot. I really liked that first year of the yeah. reboot. Um, with uh, Christopher Eccleston right. and then after that it was I think David Tennant yeah David Tennant a lot of people love, love those David, David Tennant years of the, of the show uh, but yeah so good to see uh, some new blood in uh, Doctor Who and some uh, uh, exciting casting for them it's not Edris Elba but hey you know you get the next best thing <laughs> I mean you get the next younger thing <laughs> yeah, the upcoming the upcoming, yeah, the upcoming younger you thing smart smart if you want yes. them to be in the show for a while so yep. absolutely great great choice I'm excited it's just still, did it really take until 2017 forward to get a woman and or a black person as Doctor Who? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. But here we are. All right. Speaking of. Speaking of casting. And so, fans while, maybe that maybe shouldn't be saying the things they're, they're saying about the casting. Yeah. Events, which is also the true for the Doctor Who stuff, but not important to talk about right now. We have similar casting news in the universe of Percy Jackson. Author of the Percy Jackson Jackson book series, Rick Riordan, 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 whatever it is, Christy would know, has called out fans for being racist after backlash against the casting of a black actress in the upcoming television adaptation of the popular book series. Actress Leah Jeffries was cast to play Annabeth Chase, one of the heroines in the upcoming Disney Plus adaptation of the Percy Jackson books. 
In the books, Annabeth is being is described as white, and some fans have criticized the casting of Jeffries for not visually aligning with the books. Briarden was quick to defend Jeffries and condemn the haters in a blog post published Tuesday. Quote, You are judging her appropriateness for this role solely and exclusively on how she looks. She is a black girl playing someone who is described in the books as white, he wrote. Friends, that is racism. Since the casting announcement was revealed last week, Riordan said Jeffries has been on the receiving end of racist bullying and other online harassment. In his post, Riordan called these comments out of line and demanded that they stop. Still, most of the response to the casting announcement has been positive, he said. I don't know. At a certain point, if the author of the books is telling you that this is fine, you listen to the yeah. author of the books. He made the universe. He made these characters. You mean you like, listen to the source's mouth? Also, anybody who's a fan of Riordan would know, and I'm adjacent to somebody who's a fan, so I can, I can also uh, attest to this, he has always been a proponent of um, inclusivity in his book series. In, if you don't know uh, that, I date, uh, that I'm dating someone who's a children's library, you will after I tell you this, <laughs> Rick Riordan also has a series of books that he does not necessarily write himself, but, uh, but he publishes on behalf of other writers, that are in his universe, but are written by uh, minorities. Like he has, so for example, he empowers like other, like a like a, a art a, a author of Chinese heritage to write a story about a young Chinese girl in his universe. Um, he also wrote. He also inspired uh, or um, empowered the uh, young uh, Latino uh, uh, author to write about a young Latino um, uh, hero in his larger universe. So he's already shown himself as somebody who is pro-inclusivity like, and wants these other uh, minority storytellers to have their stories told in a world that he's created. And I think that's awesome. This is just further proving that, no, he puts his money where his mouth is. It's like he, he wants his stories to be told in ways that can be enjoyed by all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. Walks of life. And for the fans not to get that is disappointing. So I'm just happy we have an example of an anti-J.K. Rowling here. <laughs> Where it's like somebody, an author, a creator who actually wants to have a variety of ways to tell his story instead of one very stuck-in-the-mud version. Also someone who doesn't use their own voice, being that of a white male, yeah, to yeah, yeah. use their voice, and or use his voice, white male, as a voice for a minority. Have yeah. the minority speak up yeah. and use their voice in these books to express their experiences through them as well. It's cool and it's heartening. And it almost makes me wonder, like, should I have read these Percy Jackson books when I was younger? Are they good? Like, I actually have no idea. I never read any of them. They're not that old. They're only, like, 2005. Okay. So, I was a teenager when they came out then. So. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Good on him is what I have to say. And maybe yeah. those fans... Because I think the, the movie was only in, like, 2010. It was recent, yeah. Which, yeah, that's 10 years ago. Yeah. But, hey... Fans continue to be toxic online. Everybody expects this at this point. The internet is toxic? No, who would have known? All right. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some television we've watched. Uh, wow, we have a lot. Yes, we have a lot. A lot of finales. Yeah, so let's... Uh, yeah, this, this one should, should just be finale. Start where you want to start, I guess, since this is all you. I only watch the same shit that I watched last week. So you don't know who won. So, no, I'm behind, like, five weeks on American Song Contest, All right, so but I did hear who won. Okay, so let's talk about American Song Contest. Yeah, I bounced off of that thing. 
Yeah, as Real we, hard. as we mentioned, probably in like week two or three. Yeah, it should have been just a two week event. It really should have been, and not drawn out for a month. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I liked the way they did it. Uh, they definitely gave more power to the fans because the fan vote definitely helped the winner win, uh, more so than the judges vote. That being said, I think we could spoil who won here. You want? Do you know who won? I had, I heard, but I don't remember their name. Um, it was Alexa. Right. The K-pop girl. Yes. Also, your home AI user. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that one. Not I remember, that one. I remember thinking that her performance was, was fun. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not disappointed there. Her performance was fun, but the song was fine. It was a yeah, Wonder, Alice in Wonderland inspired <laughs> right. K-pop yeah. song. But hey, K-pop is huge right now. And so that's... at least it's on, it's like, at least it's on trend. <laughs> so, she won on the backs of the uh, of the America's vote. Yeah. Um, so they did the judges vote. So at the very end, they did the judges vote. Everyone got tallied. And then they added the uh, America's vote. Mm-hmm. She was sitting about fifth. Fifth to sixth. Kind of middle of the pack. But then overwhelmingly with like 900 additional points... <laughs> One on the backs of the vote. Wow. So this makes me think that either one, is the song really that good? Or, or was it the K-pop army? Yeah, she got the army. <laughs> got behind her yeah. to say, hey, this is K-pop. If you want K-pop to win, vote for me. Because this is the only K-pop uh, song coming out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Randomly. But hey. I think that's part of like what they wanted to showcase in is that songs of different genres to come out of anywhere. So it's not just like only country comes out of like Tennessee or Midwest states. But yeah, you got K-pop from Oakland, from Oklahoma, and it wins. Yeah, I want to say K-pop army. I I want to say TikTok helped this, <laughs> influenced it. Oh yeah, but that's what they designed this thing. Yes, for, is like they wanted these songs to go viral and get on places like TikTok, because that's ultimately where music is at right now. Yes, we'll ask Mark's sister about it later. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is funny, because this uh, ending also culminates with Eurovision starting. Uh, yes. Eurovision right now is happening. Yes, and Monoskin. Yes. Uh, think of it in Italy right now because of Monoskin. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's happening. That's I will happening. not be watching that. I'll watch the end. But yeah, um... Yeah, I don't know how I feel about American Song Contest. I think it's a good idea on paper, but in execution, you're right. It got drawn out too long. I kind of wish, and I get that that's the format talking, but I kind of wish there was more of a variety of performances that the, the act did. Having to wheel out the same song multiple times yep. really felt stale. And I get that the idea is that you're voting for the song, not necessarily for the artist, but it's really hard to separate those two things. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just sick of the song, which I was for the majority of these songs, I was just like, it's like oh, it's just the same song yeah, again. I don't want to watch this anymore, right. is what I told myself, and so I didn't watch it. That's why it's got to be two weeks, yeah. or one week. It's got to be shorter. It's got to be shorter. It's got to be shorter, and, but, but shout out to Kelly Clarkson and, and Snoop Dogg, who somehow got through the whole thing with personality. Do we want to shout them out? Because... I think that they did okay. Oh, they... Riffed on this thing the entire way. 
I don't. I doubt there was ever like a full on skip. If there was, Kelly Clarkson was the only one who was on it. <laughs> Snoop Dogg was just there as the color commentator and constantly did whatever he wanted, especially at the end when they had five minutes left of the runtime. They brought the winner on stage as Snoop Dogg was you won, good night America, and started walking <laughs> off stage. He didn't realize that he was I supposed to be it. up there. She was supposed to like give a speech yeah. or sing the song. He was just you won. Good night. That's it. That's it. We'll be back maybe next year. Yeah. And he starts trying to walk off stage. Oh, my God. See, that's just live television just going, <laughs> going haywire. But I, I think they did a, a decent job with the hand they were It was dealt. hilarious to yeah, watch. jeez. But, yeah, like, Kelly Clarkson was the only one who knew what was going on. And <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, I'm here to have fun, make it loose. and yeah, just, high out of his mind. I don't know just, what I'm doing. Right. But I'm just going to riff with it and roll with it. Because there's time where they tried to build up tension, and it was like, okay, do I say it now? Do I say it now? I know yeah. the camera's not on me. Yeah. We're trying to build it too. Who's it going to be? Who's yeah. it going to be? <laughs> Is it me? Is, Is it, it you? Me? Is it you? <laughs> Who's it going to be? <laughs> it was so ridiculous every week. But yeah, Kelly Clarkson. I was like, so, okay, then fine. Shout out to Kelly Clarkson for holding it all down. Yes. Uh, Daytime Emmy nominee again this year, <laughs> uh, Kelly Clarkson. Uh, just give the Emmy to her now. Anyway, anyway, we'll pivot like from American Idol to American like, song number one song person to daytime Emmy dominant host. Hey, she got 20 years. That's a 20 year career Not out of one competition. Not bad at Not all. Not bad. Kelly Clarkson, hats off to you. All right. What else did we watch this week? All right. There's a couple of new stuff yeah, that new came stuff. out this week. Uh, first one is season two. Uh, no, sorry, that's easy. We'll go Disney Plus first because okay. we're going to go like HBO yeah. and all that. So, Disney, Disney Plus, has a new reality series competition out called The Quest. Uh, from ex- executive producer of The Amazing Race. Ah. Um, one, one of the executive producers, not the executive producer, <laughs> one of them, um, takes eight kids from across the country and puts them into medieval times renaissance inspired castles okay not where i thought this was going but all right and they compete in a series of competitions to reclaim the throne reclaim the lost gems of the crown kind of like king arthur camelot kind of stuff very renaissance inspired okay all right so think like amazing race style we're gonna do Random competitions to see who wins, um, but built around what's essentially a Renaissance fair uh-huh. style inspired yeah. uh, setting. Okay. All right. But you also want to tell a compelling story, not related and or semi-related in any way of why we're having these competitions happen. Yeah. So you have the combination of a very structured, like series written out with like uh cgi and different shots and all this stuff combined with a reality style competition so you're kind of getting the best of both worlds or in my experience kind of the worst of both worlds (laughs) yeah i don't know how you fall on this because it's either like this is like really great they're like in this competition like doing all this thing like it's an immersive experience for them but at the same time, you have this very clearly um, 
story of this kingdom going on, side story that the kids are only vaguely aware of because they're of what they tell them in a via like a very live action role playing experience. So the kids only get as much information as much as they ask questions. Mm. And the actors are very limited to how much they can actually give them the information uh-huh. Uh-huh. because it's supposed to be a live action, a very LARP experience. So it's like, okay, like we have like these vague outlines of like how we're related and like what's actually going on here. But I can't really tell you what's going on here <laughs> because even we don't really know what's going on here. We're kind of going with it as you go too. Sounds like they got a bunch of people who have never LARPed before. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, no, nor no, have no, I. But... No, no, but it's like being, it's like they're actors. They're, they're like yeah. being actors in the very Renaissance era where everything is like supposed to be taken seriously at face value. Right, right, right. But at the same time, you throw in these competitions that take you out of this experience, or at least takes yeah. me out of the experience. Like, okay, now we're clearly doing a competition here. It's a weird combination. Some of it actually works, the other half kind of doesn't. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. when they encounter like all these like witches and goblins and stuff, and it's like, <laughs> oh, um, okay, yeah, sure, that works. Like you're supposed to take this seriously at face value, but also, this is like clearly you're you're a person making the costume. You're doing a, yeah. a fake like serpent accent <laughs> because you're supposed to be like a, a humanoid snake thing yeah. or like a mind or or whatever. Trying to get like the mind stone gem or whatever. It's yeah. It's, Weird concept. It's a weird concept. It's only eight episodes. Okay. It wrapped it up really quickly. That's good. Um, but it is a weird concept of how much they actually want to like shoot an actual like medieval series, like with actual lore involved and stakes. But at the same time, you have kids. Yeah. I mean, to rely on kids that may or may not actually care. Yes. About that. They or may or not actually care about the actual yeah. like stakes. story stakes and story that's going on, yeah. and more about winning a competition. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It muddies the, what they're actually there for. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting idea on con- on, on paper, though. Uh, reminds me, reminds me a little bit of uh that CBS show Kid Nation. Yeah. 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 Where yeah. it throws them into uh what. Well, what Kid Nation was like an old West time, and like, oh, you right. guys gotta figure this out on your own. Yeah, again, a good concept on it's a good paper. Concept, but when you, whenever you put yourself in a situation where you're relying on children, yes, it makes kind of it's the, awkward television. It's the old show business rule. Of yeah, you don't work with kids or animals. <laughs> right, exactly. This is why. This, this is why. why. Now, if you throw a bunch of dogs into this scenario, <laughs> that's a show. <laughs> What else do we got? No, you put cats in there because yeah, they want to do their own thing. Yeah, they don't just. Have you seen video of a cat cafe? It's literally just them wandering around <laughs> and sleeping. It's nothing. Yep. Nothing. You get nothing from these cats. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, yeah, the quest is there. Um, young adult friendly. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of Disney Plus, real quick, are you caught up with Amphibia? So I was going to talk about it. Because I for but then I realized oh wait actually I should wait until next week because today is the finale. Oh no tomorrow. No today. It's today. It's this morning. No, I, I thought I thought tomorrow. Oh well, this weekend. It, it's Sunday. This weekend. This is. weekend is the finale finale. Wait, it but, that, but it had the hour. That yeah, I know that hour long thing was not the finale. What? It is the setup for the finale. The uh. last episode is this weekend. 
but yes, they had a special all in last yep. weekend. That was when all the big stuff happened. Yes. I can't go into it yet. We'll maybe have our spoiler discussion next week. But yes, I am caught up there. But I am not like done with it. And so that's why I was like, let's table that until next week. Okay. I went for the other shoe to drop there. On the that, other shoe is going, oh, that shoe is dropping. Uh, we I wanted see. to drop hard, but yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I wanted to drop, but it's not dropping yet. Yeah, all in though, what I will say is also, all um, in was the, definitely um, a great little piece of thing that they made. Also, I, I kind of called it in my own headcanon <laughs> of one of the big uh, reveals. Yes. I was like, yes. oh, that makes sense. I think yeah. you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I think I do. Because I was also there, I was like, oh, yeah, that, it makes too much sense. It's, uh, it one makes, makes so much sense, sense too. I've never seen anyone else with that. The, the, yeah, I know. That specific yes. color. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. But yes, yes. Um, we'll get there next week. But yeah, I'll end. and also, another thing this week where K pop saved the day. Uh, anyway, we wanted to talk about the finale oh, this yeah. week, though. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, that happened. Actually, uh, also, yes. the Owl House is also, uh, did its own, like, yeah. major spoiler reveal. Owl House is also cooking right now, yep. so we'll see what happens with that, too. Anyways! Anyways, actual finales we can talk about. Yes. Uh, teased about it last week. Um, on HBO Max, Julia, of the yeah. Julia Child, and Winning Time, of the Los Angeles Lakers. Both of them had their finales. Yeah. Uh, talked about, uh, teased it last week. Yeah. So now we can finally talk about it. That's been done. done. So they're done. Well, they're not done because Julia actually got a season two, Correct. which we know about. Which we got uh, confirmed last week with season two, and I'm excited for it. Uh, uh, as I mentioned in my initial thoughts about it, it's both like the history of television, but also like history of women in television and women in the workforce, especially in like the fifties and sixties yeah, yeah, when this yeah, was yeah. coming around. Uh, so, I really like that aspect of it, but the one thing that it does, and it constantly does this, is that it constantly beats you over the head of misogynist, misogynist, misogynist. Well, yeah. Um, this is how it was. We're trying to be accurate, but at the same time, we're just going to beat you over the head with this, Way because out. <laughs> this is the way it was when this happened. Right. And I got to the point of like, oh my god, they're finally learning. Oh, wait, no, they're not learning because, of course, they're not. This is the 50s. They never learned anything <laughs> in the 50s. Mm. Uh, so it's, I won't say it's difficult to watch because, no, that's just something like that's going to happen. And eventually the characters do speak up and they do kind of, like, get their their end rewards for it. But it's just constant beat. And I'm sure that's exactly what they were going for when they, when they made it because... There's no way to avoid it when talking about this period. Otherwise, you're just kind of like um, rewriting history of like, oh, it was just so easy for them doing this. Like, no, you got to put up obstacles, and these are realistic obstacles. Yes, it is television. Yes, it is enhanced for drama's sake. But when you actually look and read at like actual books in history and do some like actual like Google research on these interviews that. Uh, Julia Child did about the show getting made, about the French chef getting made. A lot of it isn't just played up for actual TV. It's just, no, we're being as accurate as we can be. And this, yes, some of it is fluff, but most of it is how it happened. Most of it is just the addition of not just this show, but other shows and the constant struggles kind of microcosms into Julia. Right. And I like it because of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was working for you. Yeah. Hey, it's working for me, and I'm excited for season two. Cool. Great. Also, it's got that little, little cooking stuff in it that I really love. So, okay. Got me hooked. Cooking. Um, speaking of things that got cooking eventually, 
winning time. Oh, okay. Did it finally kick into gear at some point? When they actually started playing basketball yeah. four episodes in, yeah, that makes sense. I finally got in. Oh, but I do not want to endure the, the Adam McKay until that happens. So a lot of the four episode prior buildup is built on Jerry Buss and his actual process of getting to the Lakers and getting to um, the forum and getting to the start of the season. Yeah. Which in itself is a process, is a business, is the struggle, is kind of what the, the show is based on, the book right. of it's Jerry Buss yeah. creating or buying the Lakers and building this dynasty. That's what it's based off of. So from that knowledge, it makes sense to have these four episodes built on it. But those four episodes are each an hour long, and it's a lot of build-up to what we know now. So it's kind of extra struggle for struggle's sake. Yeah. Extra drama for drama's sake. <laughs> when and kind of the hard thing with period pieces of if you know what's going to happen, then some of that, a lot of that drama is built away, is stripped away. Yeah. 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 But ultimately, did it seem like it was living up to what it was trying to do from the top? Yes. Once you it actually got, got to the actual basketball, yeah. once you got the actual like basketball politics that were going on, then there's interesting then stuff. Then there's actual interesting yeah. stuff happening there. It just, to me, though, that says that this thing, yes, I realized that they were working off of what the, the material that they had, mm -hmm. and I realized that that was the impetus for the project. But to me, I think what this the discovery you make here is that the actual interesting stuff here, the actual interesting story is not about him. It's about the team. Yes. And Once you got to talking about the team, yeah. the coaches, the players, uh, the roster changes, yeah. um, becoming uh, Magic Johnson, becoming, stepping into the role of a captain on the team yeah. from a rookie. So that's what it to is. To me, there's a better version of this that cuts out the fat and is just about There's the a better team. version of this that limits the role of Jerry Buss. Yeah. But, even though it's based on his book. <laughs> but, even though it's based on his book, but to limit the role of Jerry Buss is to limit yeah. the scope of what made the Lakers the dynasty that they are. So, yeah, ultimately, a good idea in theory, but, like, yeah, like, it just it created a show that's just so targeted at a certain angle that it was hard for me to get into it. Well, especially when you start off from that angle. Yeah. And, and you don't really introduce the players themselves until... Four episodes <laughs> in, it's like, okay, here's the team that we're working with and why they became what they did. Yeah. All right. Well, we see more of this. Is there more of a story to tell after this wraps up? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is just the first season. You gotta run it back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we know that they do. Yes. Um, there's also a built-in conflict between uh, the Magic Johnson character mm -hmm. and the Larry Bird right. character. Makes sense. Case in point. See, 20 minutes ago. So, yeah, when we mentioned both of their names. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, it goes to show you. Everything is connected. Yep. All right. But I eventually liked Winning Time. Okay. You got there. I got, got there. there. It got there. Right. Uh, also, Jason Siegel. I was Jason surprised Siegel. to see you show up, but also, you did a really good job. A surprise, Jason Siegel. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. Let's move on. What Let's else? Do. What else? A couple more things. Yep. A couple more things. Uh, sticking with HBO Max, The Return of Hacks, Season yes. 2. First two episodes are out right now. Hilarious. Keeps yeah. it, uh, keeps it, picks it up right where it left off. Keeps the struggle going. 
keeps the interesting stuff happening. Um, yeah. As much as it is about the dwindling age of someone's career, it's also about the rise of someone else's career and how the master is teaching the protege here, not just in writing, but also in comedy, but also in business. It's really fun. I like that it got to that point in the first season, and it's continuing that aspect in the second season. Yeah, and and uh, the episode so far seemed to leave like a a big like a big cliffhanger at the end of the second one. It was making you be like, "Is this what the rest of the season's about?" I hope which it is, is going to be like pretty wild. So I, I hope it is. Cool I really like it. Yeah, it's interesting what they're doing with that. Yeah. I didn't love season one of this, unlike everybody else, but. Um, Season two looks promising so far. I'm like into. They finally, I feel like, hit a groove with the characters now, mm-hmm. where I feel like they can tell all sorts of interesting stories about them, and that's where uh, the last like, that's my three, comfort zone in a show. Like, I last be, like, like three episodes of Hacks yeah. season one definitely found their groove. Definitely right. found the the dynamic between the two main characters. They're there now, and yes. as long as they just cruise in this zone, I think that that season two is going to be something special. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the, some really strong writing. There's. I wish I could think of the specific bit that really, really got me. Uh, was it the Christmas bit? Because I love the Christmas bit. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> I think it was. Something was really, really funny. And yeah, like there's some really good writing on that show. So, anyway. Anyways, yeah. Hack season two. Um, might actually make our list this year. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and lastly, speaking of finales, Resident Alien on Peacock. Yeah, that wrapped up. That wrapped up. And I'm not sure how much I liked season two as much <laughs> as I liked season one. Sure. Especially since it seemed like they didn't know where they wanted to go with season two. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through, they're like, oh, we could go this route. Story mm-hmm. of a show that they thought that it was going to be canceled and it wasn't. Yep. They needed to do something. Oh, so sorry. It's funny you say that because <laughs> they definitely thought they were going to be canceling into season one. Yeah. So they leave a big cliffhanger right. hoping they get for season two. Yeah. And then same thing happened with season two. Uh-huh. Is that uh, uh, towards the end, they pivot from what they're originally doing to um, be like, oh, but we have this new and interesting idea now, and we want, and they have a cliffhanger, so that way it's more <laughs> of an interesting story come season three. Hopefully, we get season three, yeah. but I don't know if I really want to watch season three because of it. Yeah, if this is how it's going to be. Of you always have to write a finale where you get your end, but also kind of leave something else. Living life on the bubble. It's, it's a bubble show. Yeah. So I don't know. There's only so much you can do with that premise. Yes. But I do like the actors in it, and I do hope I see them elsewhere. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Anything else before we move on? Um, next week, we will have the finales of several network, or ser- yeah. several cable televisions. Yes. Um, as the last two weeks here of May, we get to the end of spring finales before we get into summer game show time. <laughs> uh, so... Scripted dramas, scripted comedies are coming to an end between next week and the following week as we get to the end of May. And you know what that means. Renewal and cancellation times. Get ready for the most packed one of these we've had so far in 2022. Every year, this time of year, this is when it happens, the big chopping block. Every network is making their big decisions right now. So is your favorite show on the chopping block? Find out. In cancellation and renewals, let's start from the top. The Equalizer is getting two more seasons on CBS. We'll put it through a fourth. We did call that. Yeah, it did. It's a reliable crime show. <laughs> yeah, it is. And CBS loves those. <laughs> oh, I so call this. Minx is getting a second season on HBO Max. 
I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson will get a third season on Netflix. Queens, canceled after one season on ABC. Promised Land, canceled after one season on ABC as well. Saw that one coming, that was the wine show. Yes. FBI is getting two more seasons on CBS. FBI International, also getting two seasons on CBS. And also, FBI Most Wanted, two more seasons on CBS. FBI's are all coming back. Yep, they all get two more seasons because FBI is just a... One of those constant shows, it's the new CSI. Easy to, Easy to make. Shining Veil will get a second season on Stars. Dollface, canceled after two seasons on Hulu. Law and Order, proper, brought back last year, will continue to be brought back for a 22nd season on NBC. Law and Order, organized crime, the most recent of the spinoffs, will get a third season on NBC. Surreal Estate will get a second season on Sci-Fi. Upload will get a third season on Prime Video. That's ahead of its second season this summer. Correct. United States of Al, canceled on after two seasons on CBS. Yes. Finally, Be Positive, canceled after two Ooh. seasons on CBS. The retool didn't the work. The retool didn't work. So that's two Chuck Lorre shows gone. All American Homecoming will get a second season on the CW. One of the only things that the CW didn't cancel. Oh, we'll, we'll get, get there. that later. The the uh the complete re- uh, rebuilding of CW continues. We'll get there later. American Auto inexplicably gets a second season on NBC because they need something. Grand Crew on NBC gets a second season, so they actually have good things about that one. Young Rock holds on for a third season at NBC. They're really trying to get people to like it. I don't know if it's working for them. Mr. Mayor canceled after two seasons on NBC. Hey, that's one more season that I thought it was going to get, and. Single tier, Keenan, canceled after season two. Another retool that didn't work, I guess, on NBC. I'm ha- I'm sad to see that one go. There's good things about Keenan, even though overall season one was better than season two. Let's move on. The end game, canceled after just one season on NBC. So I'll get to watch my finale and have yep. it be the finale. That's it. Magnum PI, the reboot, canceled after four seasons on CBS. Good Sam, canceled after one season on CBS. How We Roll. Canceled after one season on CBS. I think that's the other Chuck Lorre show. Yeah. Modoc, that being the animated Modoc with Patton Oswalt. Canceled after just one season on Hulu. Not surprised. Not surprised, considering that all the shows that were like it were never greenlit. Yeah. Uh, so this makes sense that they would just get rid of it. Just a one-off. But in case you're wondering what the CW canceled this week, and there's a lot. The reboot of Charmed. The reboot of Dynasty. Naomi. The 4400. The reboot of Roswell, New Mexico, In the Dark, and Legacies. So, pretty much everything. A lot of the Berlanti shows. Yeah, pretty much everything that, yeah, all the Berlanti stuff except for Riverdale um, got the axe this week. And who knows about Riverdale? We could see more. So, what this is telling me is that the new Discovery Warner, the Warner Brothers Discovery, Wants to cut ties with Berlanti so much. Yeah, that they're killing off They his want shows. to kill off his shows. I think that this is similar to what we saw with Square Enix and IDOS last week. Yep. I think this is a company preparing for the worst. This is a company getting rid of all the fat so that way they can focus on having a very specific like bunch of shows that they do and focus on. So that way, if they are going to get sold, they seem valuable. That means selling the CW. Yes. If the CW is sold, this at least shows them, like, we do have these deals in places with these shows that we know work, and all the shows that didn't work, we got rid of. We cut the fat. So are you saying that there's a possibility of Square Enix being sold to a bigger company? <laughs> yes. 
Oh, we didn't talk about this last week. Oh, no, no, we talked about yeah. Ida's being sold. But what, Oh, so I didn't talk about the flip side. That was a theory that people were giving. Oh, see, that's a theory. We don't yeah. deal in rumors. Yeah, well, yes. But that was a theory that people were talking about. The reason why they did that was because perhaps a, I don't know, giant video game corporation in um, Japan, Sony, <laughs> uh, decides to buy them. Then it would be a worthwhile purchase for yeah. them to make. It would make sense. And this it would is make the sense. moment to do it. So don't be surprised if that happens. But yes, similar thing here. I believe the CW is trimming their fat so that way they will be more appealing to a, a purchase. Because mm-hmm. it could happen. Meanwhile, ABC renewed a bunch of their shows. America's Tiniest, Tiniest Trolling Idiot. <laughs> America's Funniest Home Videos. Not Funniest Home Videos. I watched that show. Uh, American Idol, The Bachelor, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, Shark Tank, Big Sky, The Connors, Home Economics, A Million Little Lies, and The Wonder Years are all coming back. So, at least ABC still is making television. Yes. All right. Also, thank you for calling it A Million Little Lies. <laughs> yes. A Million Little Lies. Yes. That's what, they, that's what you called it on this thing. Yep. Anyway. That's it. Four cancellations of riddles. For now... Find out more next week when more axes drop. Meanwhile, we have one death this week. John R. Cherry III, aged 73, director and screenwriter, wrote Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Scared Stupid, and Ernest Goes to Jail. Yes, they all have something in common. They're all Ernest movies. I so, thought you said they're all 90s movies. Yes. <laughs> yes they're all Ernest movies. They're all Ernest movies. So, yes, R.I.P. John R. Cherry III. Yep. Let's move on. It's the movies section. We start the movie section, as always, with the weekend box office number. And we don't need to tell you what the number one movie was because it's obviously your number one movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But debuted to the tune of $187 million. That is the second best debut in 2022 after after Spider-Man. Spider-Man was 2021 debut. That's right. Well, the second recent, I guess, to, like, for this much money. Yes. But yes, uh, $187 million, that's not bad at all. Number two, The Bad Guys, another $9 million, $57 million total domestic. Number three, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, $6 million. That's at $169. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, holding on, $4.8 million. That's at $86. And Everything Everywhere, All at Once, hanging on to that five spot with another $3.5 million. Word of mouth, just keeps it in the top Word five. Mouth, keeping it around. But also, $3.5 million, keeps it in the top five. Yeah. <laughs> this week... Uh, yesterday we saw the Stephen King adaptation of Sp- Firestarter in theaters, and then next week a couple of movies. We have Men, which is the new a horror film, horror thriller uh, from the per- uh, from the person who gave you um, Arrival. Um, the Arrival guy. Is it the Arrival guy? Maybe so. One of those. Anyways, so that's Men. Yeah, there it is. Men. Yes, right? I think so. I don't know. What does IMDb tell me? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Paywall? Really? Nah, I can see behind it. Uh, 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 So I'm looking at the pro version, that's why. (laughs) Anyways. um, And then also, this week, Downton Abbey, colon, a new era. This is where... The Downton Abbey people all put on New Era hats, right? No. Yes. It's not. But yeah, uh, that's the two big releases this week. So, 
something for everybody, or at least if you want either of those movies. Um, Tom Starling. Yes, he's the Reverend, right? No, no. no. He's the um, Ex Machina guy. He's the Ex Machina guy. Sorry, I get those two confused. Yes. Um, yes, sorry, yes. Alex Starling. Uh, that's his new new film. Uh, seems creepy. I don't know. Yeah, um, Ex Machina. Annihilation. Annihilation. Not Arrival. Thank you. Not Arrival. Annihilation. Annihilation. That's yes, the other horror film. Anyways, that's that. Yep. Those are new releases. Moving into movie news. Our first story is a little bit of a follow-up after the kerfuffle that was the Golden Globes drama from the last couple of years. Oh, yes. We talk, we're talking about the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Well, they're not doing too hot because of all of this business, so it means they're putting themselves on the auction block, courting buyers for the embattled organization. The HFPA on Friday announced that it has formed a special committee within the nonprofit organization to, quote, determine potential outside strategic interest in its organization and assets, end quote. The end game is optimizing the value of the HPFA's various assets and continue to enhance the organization's position in the marketplace while strengthening its blah, 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 stakeholders, you know, business speak, for we really would like to get bought, so let's strengthen what we can do. The HFPA statement cited its negotiations with interim CEO Todd Bowley and said that at least one other potential bidder has approached, which prompted them to begin a formal process. The famously insular organization came under fire early last year following an expose by the Los Angeles Times about potential financial improprieties as well as the absence of any black members in their group. So they're really, really hoping that somebody uh, waltzes in and buys them and cleans up their image because right now... They are not friendly with Hollywood. They're going to slap a banner over the corporate offices that say under new management. Yeah, hope and hope people, people make deals again. Yeah, hope people just say under new manager like, oh, okay, maybe it's not as bad as the last time I went there. Honestly, I don't think it works. Nope. I think that the Golden Globes name is tarnished forever. <laughs> Gold tarnished. Yeah. Um, so I don't see them bouncing back from this unless they do a complete rebrand. But they usually. But the Golden Globes start the award season. Yeah. Well, sorry, no, that's what I'm The Gotham Awards yeah. start the award yeah, season. What if I told you the Golden Globes actually never mattered? Of course they never mattered. Yeah, anyways. Let's move on to our second story, which takes us to Francis Ford Coppola, a famous uh, Hollywood name that you don't hear that much anymore. He is the godfather. He is the godfather Director of the godfather. of cinema. Yes. Exactly. Um, so his new project, Megalopolis, is about to get its cast. It's a self-funded movie. It is budgeting at just under $100 million. And here are the people involved. Adam Driver, Natalie Emanuel, Horace Whitaker, Lawrence Fishburne, and John Voight will all star in the project that is written and directed by Coppola himself. The logline for the film reads, quote, The fate of Rome haunts a modern world, unable to solve its own social problems in this epic story of political ambition, genius, and conflicted love. Well, with that long line, this movie could about, be about literally anything. So, uh, according to like the article and other various quote-unquote sources familiar with the project, yeah. so, the, a.k.a. which is what Francis Ford Coppola wants it to be, <laughs> it's um, going to be his defining legacy of a film that he wants to leave for yeah. future generations okay. to look upon and strive towards. To me, that sounds like it's either going to be great or it's going to be an absolute laughing stock. And that's why we're talking about yeah, it. I can't Flip wait. that coin, baby. <laughs> Ooh, boy. 
Uh, I mean, not too expensive, under $100 million, but for a live-action film, it's a pretty decent amount of money. Um, I Yeah, that, that just such a vague logline. I have no idea what to expect here. It's supposed to be titans of industry uh, trying to rebuild their world after a cataclysmic event. Yeah. And how they want to rebuild it for the future. Basically, if we're starting from ground zero... Not actual ground zero, mind you. Yeah, not that one. Not that one, because that already happened, and we saw what got built out of that. <laughs> but, like, an actual, like, devastating attack of some sort that allowed a society to rebuild from the ground up, what could that look like? Yeah. And how could egos and bribery and schemes influence that into what could be either good or bad? We'll see. We'll Who knows see. what this is going to be? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Thank you, Ghost. Yeah, but I'm hoping that Francis Ford Coppola, like, if this is what he wants to have as his lasting statement, I hope, he, I hope it's good for his sake. Because According to his statement, um, he doesn't care about if it makes money or not. Uh-huh. He doesn't care if it wins any awards or not. He wants it to be a film that future filmmakers will look upon and strive towards, or future people will look upon right. and strive towards. Well, So it's, like we'll I said, it's his goal and legacy for a future generation. We'll if, if he's able out. to finish yeah. it. Yeah, if he's able to make it work, then uh, all power to him. Um, there's only one huge caveat here, is that because it is self-funded, how many people are going to be there to say no to him? Yeah, very bad. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll, we, we will certainly yeah. see. He actually had to uh, sell off some of his wine company oh. to fund it. Those are good wines. Yes, the Coppola wines. Mm. Yes, when you see Coppola lines, <laughs> That's him. it's actually that Francis Ford Coppola. It is. All right. Well, look forward to that. In the meantime, though, you saw a couple of movies. Uh, a couple of movies I wish I hadn't seen. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, so, um, first off, the reason we don't have a Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness yeah. thoughts here is because we had them last week. Last week. So, so you rewind can, the tape on uh, that one. Yes, please. Rewind the tape on that one. <laughs> Because uh, it's a multiverse. Get your pencil out. Yeah, this and rewind it. Uh, so, this week, uh, Firestarter. But wait, is this movie coming out this week? Yes. Yes. But I saw Peacock. Thank you, Peacock. Thank you, Peacock. Uh, so, Firestarter is a remake of a movie of the same name. And oh, I'll make this simple. <laughs> New Mutants did it better. And Ooh. I hate to say that. Ooh. Because New Mutants was bad. Ouch. But now, are you familiar at all with the uh, Stephen King uh, books? Uh, no. Okay. All right. But um, are hmm. you neither? We need our. Uh, we I need don't know Chris. who our yeah our Stephen Chris. King expert is here. Chris is a Stephen King expert. He knows <laughs> all the Stephen King books that he claims to have read, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, Firestarter is about a family um, that was starring Zac Efron. Oh. I saw that and I was like, oh, okay. wait, that's right. like Zach Efron. Sure. So I was like, yep, that's Zach Efron with a beard. Zach Efron with a beard. Okay, Zach Efron has a beard. <laughs> wait, is it actually Zach Efron this time, not Zach Braff? Yes, actually okay. Zach Efron this okay. time. Sure. I have to make sure now. <laughs> yes, I made that mistake once already. <laughs> Actual Zach Efron with a beard. Yeah. Um, playing the dad role because he's sure. no longer playing the hot teenager role. We got there. Yeah, we got there. He finally aged out of it. <laughs> um, um, so the it deals with a family that's 
that took part in like an experiment, drug experiments, um, okay. kind of like the blind taste testing, blind stuff. Oh, blind the Pepsi studies. challenge. Yeah, the, the blind studies, <laughs> Pepsi challenges. Uh, and basically, they, they had a child. And so this child now has superpowers. Sorry, I'm just I'm distracted right now because I'm imagining a movie that's like somebody gets so they're like it's it's 1987 and somebody got like super like messed up by doing this Pepsi challenge <laughs> in their local like mall and then it's like something like they they have a genetic it, it wasn't mutation. The Pepsi challenge they thought it was. <laughs> Everything tastes like Pepsi for the rest of their life. Yes. I don't know. Anyways, we can brainstorm about that later. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. Yes, uh, yeah. So. Basically, they develop superpowers, and this falls in the same vein of New Mutants, where it's superpowered people in a horror setting. Yeah. Same thing with I think it was Brightburn, which was like if Superman as a kid went evil or something. Okay. Uh, I think it was called Brightburn. Um, that's the same concept of like kid with superpowers. Isn't really like the whole um like wholesome thing. It's actually a horror story right, for most yeah. people. It's terrifying. It's terrifying, and that's what this is. It's it's based off the Stephen King novel of the same name where kid has superpowers of starting fires, spontaneous combustion yeah, on yeah. things that starts fires and that's that's the story of how do you control it, what happens when the government agency comes in and saves your family what things would you go to save your family Yeah, there, I saved you 90 minutes yeah. uh, I'm not sure how fun it is if it's um, cheap tricks and dump scares and it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. That's why I brought up New Mutants because at least going into it, you know that's about super powered people and it's not like someone like just starting fires randomly. They're actually like trying to control their powers here. Not so much trying to control their powers, but rather how far out of hand can you make it go? Um... It can be sad, but I don't know if Zach Efron actually pulls off enough of a dad vibe to make it be sad. <laughs> um, it's a movie. I think this was made just because we need to keep the uh, Stephen King pipeline going. Honestly, yeah, yeah especially following it, you just put Stephen King on there. It's like, hey, the other thing for Stephen King. Also, they did, they did the remake of Pet Cemetery as well. Right. So it's just Universal. Let's keep uh, going. Yeah. Pulling keep... in that Stephen King lot. Right. Makes sense. It's there. It's a remake. If you don't want to watch the 1970s version. Or don't want to read the book. Or don't want to read the book. <laughs> it's there. It's there. Or don't want to watch the, the giant reference they did to it in Riverdale a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, man. Just wait until I get to the end of the season of Riverdale. <laughs> oh, boy. Not a lot to talk about there. Anyway. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah Firestarter. Yeah, that's Firestarter. Um, second thing I watched was on uh-huh. Netflix. But I watched it because it was the number one movie on Netflix. Yeah. I knew what I was going into it. I didn't get anything new out of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Our Father. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of this show was. So, remember on Fox, I think it was last year, there was a show about the fertility doctor. That was supposed to be a light-hearted show yes. about someone, about like the daughter trying to find other people related to her. Vaguely. That sounds vaguely uh, Fox familiar. Fertility Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, almost Family. Almost Family. That's, That's what, what it was. was. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. 
So about the fertility fraud in the yeah. serious accusations. Um, so when Fox saw that and thought, hey, we could turn that to a TV show uh, like different bring in different people, guest stars. And like, hey, you may or may not be related. We'll eventually find out over the course of the show. Yeah, gross. It was a gross idea, and that's why nobody watched it. Yes, and I pointed out that was a gross idea when yeah. I watched yeah. it. Well, there's an actual uh, movie documentary, I want to say, called Our Father, about yeah. this exact same thing. Got it. The horrors of it. I see, okay. Uh, I did not learn anything new from this doc. Sure. Nothing that I already knew. If you have this like huge blind spot of fertility doctors and this like whole genealogy of what if like your artificial insemination wasn't actually the person you thought it was? What if it was the fertility doctor the whole time? And then you found out, Ugh. and then you realized, oh wait, I never left my town. Other people also went to this doctor. I may be related to all these other people as well. Weird. Weird. It's that. It's but weird. it's a documentary, and it's weird, and it's gross. And if you didn't know anything about this, here you go. Watch this. If you did know that this was going on, and stuff like this can happen and does happen, you don't really gain anything new from it, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. But this also kind of does bump up against the Supreme Court decision that just yeah. kind of went out, so. It's it's a it's a time for certain. It's certainly a time to tell this story. Yes. In case people did not know about it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's yeah. It seems like I guess it's there for those who want to know more about this, or maybe heard about it in passing and want to know the whole story. For certain, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just yeah, almost like a um, a cautionary tale. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. But like I said, like I already knew this existed. This kind of thing happened. Right. Yeah. So I didn't. So watching it, I didn't really gain anything new from it. It's sure. Just, People telling their stories about this one fertility doctor. Yeah. Thing is, though, at the end, it said that there's at least 50-ish known cases of this happening in other states. So this is not a one-off thing. This is something that is happening in fertility clinics across the United States. Yeah. Gross. Um, maybe get tested to see where you're at. Yeah. Uh, it, it also is kind of like adds on to the whole um, genealogy. May or, knowing your genealogy may or may not actually be a good thing. Yeah. Um, the yeah. more the more you know, may or may not actually be the good thing. Pulling <laughs> on that thread. Yeah, it's it's complicated out there. Yeah, because like yeah, you should know who your what DNA you have, where who your actual parents are, or. Not parents. Who your ancestors? Ancestry. Yeah. That's who your actual ancestry is. Well, your actual ancestry is because your parents are the people who raised you. Those are your parents. Right. 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 Or is it like like I'm not your I'm not your parent, but I'm your daddy's kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I like I, I raised you. Something like Something that. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad this is there. I guess in case you want to know more. But like you said, it probably doesn't go a whole lot. To like of new information, but it's there. Yeah, if you have, if you didn't know about it, it's there. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's fascinating. There. But if you already knew about this, it doesn't bring anything new to the table. So, right. if you're looking for a place to start, it's probably yeah. going to start here. Right. But like I said, there's other stuff out there as well, which you can do other research on. Watch other, maybe not ninety minute docs about it. <laughs> watch just some stuff yeah. on YouTube that's yeah. really good and entertaining. Information is out there. Yeah. Alrighty, 
Anything else? No, that's all I've watched. Did you watch anything? Uh, no, no movies this week, I don't believe. Right. So that'll do it. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and or watching to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We'll be back with another live show next week, I believe. So yes. join us for that then. You can see us live and recorded in video form on YouTube if you search Media Boat Podcast on YouTube.com. Find our channel, like, subscribe, click that bell, you whatever you do if you're a YouTube person, you know the drill. Um, by doing that, you can also listen to audio versions of our show as well. Media Boat Podcast is available on all sorts of podcast sources like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Just search Media Boat Podcast and pull us up there. You can also find us on social media channels like Twitter, where our handle is at Media Boatcast, Facebook by searching Media Boat Podcast to find our page. And last, but definitely not least, if you want to ask us questions, give us feedback, be featured on the show with your question or comment, please email us directly at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. And that'll do That's it. That's our show. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. Enjoy your week. We'll yep. have all sorts of things to talk about, I'm sure. Yep, next we'll be back week. with more news, more thoughts, some TV finales, and some more music thoughts as well. Maybe so. All right. Be back next week. Okay. okay bye. Bye. bye.